The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. There's no such thing as a linear career path, and no one can offer you an instruction manual for how to become a boss. If they try, you really just shouldn't trust it. But there is collective wisdom to be found in each other. It's really at the heart of the show. So every once in a while, I like to invite successful people into the studio to share their stories about how they made it. There's so much for us to learn. I'm talking about people like today's guest. Part of life is the choices you make, but part of life is what choices were foisted on you and what you made of those. That's Lule Demese. And it's fair to say she has transformed every constraint in her life into an opportunity. Today, Lule is the U.S. CEO of a global investment company called Itoro. And Lule is a friend. We first met two decades ago, exactly. We were in the same social circle, these ambitious young New Yorkers looking to make our marks. I always admired Lule for her incredible resilience. Even then, I understood that she was unique. She was born in Ethiopia, and she'd left the country along with her family to escape political instability. She lived on three different continents before she started her bachelor's at Smith. Now, Lule went on to get her MBA at Columbia University, and she's a big proponent of MBAs. When it was time for her to head out into the world, her citizenship became tied completely to her employment. Just like she does with everything else in her life, she took this challenge in stride. And that made me curious about Lule's philosophy on constraints and how they become opportunities. Now, we've grown apart over the years as the demands of young children, first hers and then mine, and these ballooning jobs have taken over. But I've continued to follow Lule's career. She's always been an inspiration to me. So I invited her into the studio to share her wisdom with us. Here's Lule. When you're young, you don't have the third eye yet, right? You've not seen enough dark corners. You've not navigated enough dark corners. But So everything feels like a monster across the, a room, right? Yeah. But I had actually seen more monsters than most. Yeah. And I did not realize that that actually, if it doesn't damage you in a in a irreversible manner, is a strength, right? Yeah. Um, and well, so, I, I want to stop there a second. Um, you're right that there, our resilience comes from running up against the hardest things that we confront and that that matters a lot in our youth. Um, I know for myself, I was very, un, I was very, um, I went to Brown University. I was very lucky that I managed to get in, um, but always disappointed that I had to pay for a good deal of it myself. I looked around and I was just like, well, other kids, they're not taking loans. They're not taking as many loans as I am. At one point, I even had to almost opt out for a little while because of it. But in the end, it made me very smart with money very early. And I guess that's what you're talking about. 
your gifts come from the choices that are foisted upon you. Yeah. And it can, I mean, it took me a while to appreciate this, right? Because at the beginning, you think of them as resentful things. And mm-hmm. so there's that process of just sort of like you turning into a fist, right? And right. not letting the wisdom pass through your system, right? And I, that's youth. It's, it is nature. <laughs> um, but I had that practice really early. I grew up in four different countries. That means I had to make up my life four times before I was 18. I was dyslexic, learning new languages. That means I didn't learn properly until I was in my teens, right? Really? I Can I decode. ask you, um, growing up in four countries, um, what was your process of going from country to country like? And by that, I mean, were you going to a place or were you moving from a place? It was both, as they say in immigration language, a push and a pull. Um, So it was a push in the sense that it was politically unstable in Ethiopia. It was repressed, um, you know, and frankly, people of my family's background were always going to be in danger. It was a pull in the sense that my family wanted better for their family. Right. Right. Um, And so it came from push and pull. But then eventually each move was about new opportunity that pulled us. My family was unit was strong um, and that made a big difference. So that meant we took a little piece of land of stability each place we went to. And Mm -hmm. I often tell people I don't have any monetary uh, inherited wealth, but I have so much intangible inherited wealth, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, again, we can't we can't undermine that that is actually the more important thing. Um, So we moved each time. And what that did for me is I didn't realize it then, but it meant that I had to go into somebody else's house, learn about their culture, learn about how their mental framework works, learn about where their emotional center was. Every culture has a different emotional center. People don't appreciate that. Um, And then I had to become at the center of that to make friends, right? right? That behavioral muscle was survival then. Now it's deliberate, right? So each culture I encounter becomes a place where I learn how to decode fast. I go to them first. I don't try to make them understand me first. And they open their hearts and minds. And then suddenly they understand me. That sort of wash, rinse, wash, and repeat, I'd already learned by the time I was 18. So it was a masterful lesson in code switching that set you up well in your business life. Absolutely. To be and able knew, to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who knew that, right? So that's right. what I mean about like the 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 things that are foisted on you can end up being the the real wisdom. So so you came out of Smith and you were on that student visa. Did that impact the the areas that you chose to look for work in? Absolutely. I wanted to be a journalist. Oh, you would have been a wonderful journalist. <laughs> but I loved finance. I've mm-hmm. always loved finance. Um, I come from a family of lots of economists. And so economic and political talk was always at our table. Um, so I loved finance. And I knew that finance would be a massive opportunity. Um, and I knew people who mastered it ended up getting green cards. You know, I'm also a member of the LGBTQ family. So also, you know, I had to be savvy about where I was going to get my papers. Right. Um, so finance felt like the natural next love. Um, but ultimately, I didn't feel like, oh, that's not what I wanted to do. Like right. it was it was uh, adjacent, if you will. And I just go back and again to clarify for our listeners, the fact of your queerness, especially at that point, which was long before uh, marriage was legal among queer people, meant that your path to citizenship was solely through 
the workforce. Exactly. Yeah. So that meant basically ambition was a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was a requirement, yeah. right? It just was lucky that I was intellectually curious. You know, we, we've talked before where you've asked me sort of like, you seemed ambitious early in life. I don't know if I would have known it as ambition. I was curious. I was excited. I was uh, always asking the why and the what. And part of it is as a dyslexic, what you learn is you have to, to decode language. You have to deliberately break things down and build them up again. Again, something foisted on me suddenly becomes a superpower. Yeah. Because actually that's what's necessary in business. In yeah. navigating anything, you have to learn how to deconstruct it to reconstruct it. Um, so that really sort of was also a blessing. So what was what was the the your sort of early career decision ladder for you? You went to you got your MBA. Did you work for a little while before you got your MBA? So I started out at JP Morgan mm-hmm. and there, you know, they have these wonderful like analyst programs where they put you in a classroom for like months and then they put you out in the, the pasture to whatever field you're in. So I started out in wealth over there, which meant I learned financial planning. I learned how rich people invested, how they plan their legacy planning, how they use lending as a leverage mechanism. So I learned all of this early at J.P. Morgan. And then I became a financial advisor, which was very invaluable because I learned human emotion and money, the intersection between those two. I see this come up for people early in their career a ton, which is you're in a field. Maybe you like that field. Maybe you're only like meh about that field. But there you are. And opportunities present themselves. And they're not necessarily the opportunities that you would design for yourself if you were out designing opportunities for yourself. But they're the ones that are in front of you. How does one decide, I'm going to apply myself, even though I'm not really interested? I don't even know if I'm interested in that. Yeah. So I think part of it is like I had the blessing of few choices. Mm. I think sometimes many choices are a bad thing. Mm-hmm. because what they do is they freeze you up. We know this in the simplest things in our lives, right? Like Netflix is a torture for me to watch now. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right? Totally. But like, not because I don't like Netflix, but because right. the volume of choices. So in some ways, I think like an artist requires boundaries to be creative. Mm-hmm. The limited choice of singular choice of I need to become a, a green card holder one day meant I had to do a mental shift of saying, Everything that came in front of me, I had to find out the joy inside of it, the learning inside of it. And then I would suck up all that it would learn, it would teach me. And if I needed to, I moved on or I moved up or whatever it is, right? But I was committed to that thing while I was there. Like people would ask me, what's your next move? I'm like, there is no next move. My next move is to master this move. Yeah. And that's one of the things I tell people a lot in their early in their career. It's like, yes, you should have a horizon, but that horizon is not the major, The major is to eat the dish right in front of you and to really learn how to deconstruct it and to find the joy in it. Um, I don't think joy is about a particular profession or not. I think it's a mental framework. I've heard that said so much, that the joy comes from the uh, approach you take to the challenge in front of you. Yeah. Um, And I've certainly experienced having gotten the things I thought that I wanted and not experience joy from them. right? And that doesn't mean you should take like abuse in a work environment, right? Like I've had situations where, again, I didn't have a choice. I had to stay where, uh, you know, a manager was really not kind to me diplomatically. Right. And I had to take it because I, you know, it was the middle of 9-11 and I have no other choice and I have to make sure that I stayed on the job. And so I tolerated that. Not everybody should have to do that, right? I had to because I had no choice. But I'm saying most of our life is not really abusive managers, though. Yeah. Most of our life, if we're 
lucky, and I think most people can be lucky this way, are choices that may not have been the dish you picked. Yes. Right? That's not the same thing as a bad experience. Yeah. Well put. Well, listen, so the MBA, was that a no-brainer? Of course, you were going to get of an course. MBA? Yeah, of course. Because again, like if I'm going to get a green card, I have to be accredited, right? Right. So it was either going to be an MBA or some sort of grad school degree. I thought I might even have to get a PhD one day, but I was like, oh my God, Oive, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a dyslexic <laughs> and I'm going to have to get a PhD for this green card. Yeah. Um, but um, so the MBA was a really practical but intellectually exciting it was mm-hmm. like, you know, a combo of the two. Do you recommend that other people, independent of the demand of or the pressure of a visa, just f- for the educational experience itself, do you recommend that people get MBAs? I do. I think it depends who you are, right? Like, it, you know, I don't necessarily think even college is necessary for everyone, right? right? If you are intellectually curious and you like some form of academic learning, I think getting a master's makes sense of whatever field. MBA, the reason I like it is like it's like being a plumber and a and a like a cardiac surgeon at the same time. What I mean by that is sort of like you're learning you're learning high concepts, right. but you're also learning very practical things like building models and financial models and understanding how to read financial statements. Very practical things that are useful in life. Right. Um, but at the same time, you're also learning strategy and how to you know open new markets. These like highfalutin ideas. So it's a combo of both pragmatism and conceptual, right. which I thought was very valuable. But you can be an engineer or anything else that comes to people. You know, early on in one's career, I think of finance as one of those careers that eats up your time. It takes a lot from you. And I'm curious if you felt uh, early on like you had time for the rest of your life as you were working this hard or if that was even a conversation you had in your head. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I would say sometimes it has eaten up my life. Um, But the one thing I'm always telling people is live with the Mm trade-off. That I think the mistake a lot of people make is not which choice they made and how was that the right choice or this the right choice. It's the inability, the courage to just live with a trade-off. And so even though it did sometimes rob um, and sometimes it didn't, I would say I feel comfortable with living with the trade-offs. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean other people would be comfortable with your trade-offs, but at the end of the day, you live with yourself, right? Um, one thing that's really interesting, I used to have a, a mentor when I was um, at, I think I was at Morgan Stanley at that time, and I had the second child. And I was the one that carried the second child. Mm-hmm. And, and the second of your two children. Of my two children, yes. Um, and I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was always exhausted. And and I, I thought I was being mommy-tracked. I could tell that I was being mommy-tracked. What did that mean to you? It meant sort of like I wasn't getting the exciting projects or challenging things were not necessarily being brought to my table. And the practical element of it is I was tired. So, you know. Oh, do I ever hear you. So, and I was like, I, I, so I went to my mentor and I said, listen, and he was more like a sponsor. He was a peer. I said, I'm being mommy tracked, but I'm not sure I'm. I think I might be okay with that. And and this this advice, by the way, doesn't have to work for everyone. It worked for me. Yes. Um, he closed the door and he said, sit down. And he was also a, a, uh, a gay man. And we had a, a kinship on how we were navigating a lot of things in life. And he said, Lule, do you not understand that rising is where the freedom is? Mm. And suddenly it clicked. 
Ambition is the key to freedom. What do you mean by freedom there? The freedom to whatever trade-offs you make, right. that they're your trade-offs. Right. They're not feeling of somebody else is constantly putting trade-offs on you. I mean, we never escape the idea of other, you know, externalities mm -hmm. putting trade-offs on us. But you have more command, right? And what I realized then was, okay, so I have to become a ninja of time. I have to learn how to bend time from 24 to 50 hours a day, how to bend that. Yeah. I had to lean on those things that I learned as a dyslexic, reconstruct, to deconstruct, right? Yeah. So I learned the art of bending time, which means I got lots of stuff done in what people do in 10 hours and two hours. We'll be right back after this break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Lule de Messe. Great leaders are only as great as the people around them. Delegation is a crucial part of the job. As we head into more senior roles, there's this shift that begins to happen where you also go from being the doer to being a person who delegates for other people. And that alone takes a lot of learning. It can be uncomfortable. But when you get there, you have a different kind of freedom. For me, yes, I learned the art of delegation, but I had to do it in my way of delegation, right? Which was ultimately making sure that I hired people who knew how to think like that as well. Yeah. Right. What I don't I don't appreciate is sort of a delegation of the ball just passing from one to the other. Right. Yeah. To me, that is how organizations become dysfunctional. What I want is accountability with delegation. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always feel the need to have accountability for myself and for others around me. But the art of delegation. And yes, that is definitely when it kicked in. Um, and I learned that, you know. Some parts of it in my career, I remember people would say, you're a control freak. Some parts of it, it was like you didn't take enough accountability. So I was like constantly going, you know, that sort of that bubble where you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I feel now I've kind of figured it out, which is that I am a person who likes to be at the very ground level. As they say in lean, I walk the gemba. 
but I want to have people who are empowered and able to do their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I find is that as a leader, I'm useless to people if I'm not walking the ground level. Yeah. I am totally useless to them. Because what I have to solve is detail, not large things alone, right? But at the same time, as I'm down there, I can't, I have to resist the desire to always drive the car. Yeah. <laughs> How to be in the room without driving the car. How to be in the room. So I'm constantly, you know, struggling and figuring that out. But I think that that is true leadership. I think leadership that just thinks delegation, I leave the room and I'm, then you're just another mouthpiece that just, you're not of service to the people that are in the room that are doing the work. Yeah. Well, so Lule, tell me, you know, you have moved uh, a good deal in your career. You've traveled, right? Tell me about the most difficult decision to make, the most I don't want to use the word risky because risky implies that there's risk. The most creative decision you made in moving. Yeah. So I, I'm i going to be a little incendiary and say I think risk is the right word. <laughs> I think risk is actually something people have to get used to and comfortable with. Mm-hmm. There is no learning without risk. This thing of sort of like, you know, the training wheels? Yep. Yeah, they teach you the mechanics of how to do it. But there's no doing it without those things falling off. Balance is something you learn by falling. By falling. And so I'd say I got good at that. And again, back to the blessing of like failing so many times by the time I'm 18 (laughs) that I realized failure is actually not the point. Like that's not even what I'm supposed to avoid. What I'm supposed to avoid is not growing. Mm -hmm. And so not growing, the opposite of that is taking risks. Okay, so let's go back to a a point of growth that seemed really scary in the moment that you were taking it. So I think a few things. So right now, I uh, the first one was leaving Morgan Stanley to go to TD Ameritrade, which was like this, you know, at that time, an online broker, nobody really, like it wasn't the same thing as being at Morgan Stanley. I was at like white shoe, you know, Wall Street shops before that, right? Yeah. yeah. So going to TD Ameritrade to build a new team, to build new products, that was a risky move. Yeah. Especially because I was just about a first parent, right, at that point. Like, I I just had my first kid. I remember. Yes. Yeah. That was a risky move. But it was an opportunity as well. It was building from zero to 100, learning new things, failing constantly, faking it till I was making it. I was clueless in certain rooms. Um, but still going in back, asking to do the things that I didn't know how to do, looking foolish sometimes. Did you hit any um, walls around, in particular, imposter syndrome or any of the stuff that comes up often in the middle of your career as you're trying to move forward? All the time. All the time. Part <laughs> of it was imposter. Right. Part of it was isolation because I was often the only black person in the room, mm-hmm. let alone woman in finance. How did you navigate that? How did Psychologically, you mean? Yeah, psychologically yeah. and also beyond psychologically. You're a huge champion and have been for years yeah. of diversity in the workplace, yeah. which means you're out there talking about it. Yeah. So a few ways. One was to make sure I left the room different than I found it. So I'm very deliberate about hiring diversity. Um, not being the only singular view, but like I think that it's bad to only have one kind of people in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being bad deliberate. For business. 
Yes. Yeah. Bad for you business, bad for society, bad for everything, bad for the soul, bad for life. Yeah. Um, as I was telling somebody who wants to eat, you know, rice pudding every day, right? So it's bad on many fronts. So I knew that I wanted to hire and could create structures that would create diversity. The other was um, creating uh, short circuits for my brain hmm. uh, where I would essentially have two thoughts in my mind. And I, people would tell me that was so unfair. I'm like, no, that was actually what made me a ninja, which is that I could recognize that I was feeling isolated, that I was feeling nervous on this side of my brain. And on the other side of my brain, I'd be like, where is yeah. that warrior? I would pound my chest metaphorically. And I learned that how to calibrate that in each meeting I was in. In some meetings, the warrior Lule showed up. In some meetings, the vulnerable imposter showed up and I, I brought her out on purpose yeah. because that room needed to know that it was okay to be imposters, right? And in some meetings, you know, it's an alpha male world. You need to become a warrior. So you do that. So I learned how to bring out these identities and embrace all of them in a very deliberate way that, you know, I tell people all the time, if your belly is wide open and you're making the choice to do that, you are, you're very vulnerable, but you're also the strongest person in the room because most things that make people nervous is fear of being seen. It's so true. But what you're talking about there is just like an immense and elaborate game of code switching. Absolutely. Code switching is like the, the, the key. Well, listen, Lule, I, I understand that you did all that, but I do not believe, I just flat out do not believe that you did it in isolation. And I want to know where you reached for help and support when you couldn't see it on your own. I had a lot of support from my wife, which was a really, we were, you know, she was very, very um, different in her cognitive makeup. So she show, she often challenged me to see things through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the key, right, to see things differently. I did therapy. I had wonderful circle of friends that would allow me to think out loud with them. Um, and I have a phenomenal extended family, so a vibrant and extended family. So I in no way did this just on my own. Um, community is essential. And feeling isolated is something we always have to fight with reaching for community. So going back to that young person coming out of Smith, would you have guessed that your career would have taken you here? No, none whatsoever. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'll get a green card. Yeah. And it wasn't because I didn't dream big or I had, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't punished by having family that clipped my wings. Yeah. I just did not think. And this is one of the reasons I'm so gung-ho about the American story. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, what I tell people is like, you can't imagine where your path will take you. But I can tell you one thing that will guarantee you more open doors. Curiosity. Fearlessness. And a deep desire to understand yourself. Right. Because if you do not appreciate your trade-offs, then you're just walking around blaming other people for the trade-offs they put on you. And really, at the end of the day, yeah. you have the ability to, to navigate your life through trade-offs. Well, Lule, I would push back on the fearlessness bit. I so agree with you on the curiosity. And I think it's just as important to be curious about your internal world as it is to be about the world outside. Part of being curious is accepting that you are fearful and doing it anyway, running at the fear. Yeah. Understanding that fear is not a blocker. Yes. It's simply information. Yeah. 
You're right. That is the more evolved way of looking at it, Jesse. of course. <laughs> I've done my therapy, uh, too. Yes. <laughs> that is the more evolved way of looking at it. I do think sometimes, remember I told you this sort of like mental framework thing? Sometimes it's okay to be a Viking. Like, I think that it is, you can't always, you don't always have the time to be like, I'm scared and therefore mm-hmm. I'm going to work through. That's not always there. I think that that side of your brain has to be there, that evolved side of your brain, right? We're not lizards after all, right? But I think that sometimes back to the sort of wearing different clothing, yeah. it's okay to be a Viking. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll meet you halfway, Okay, Jessie. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> That was Lule de Messe, the U.S. CEO of eToro. You can follow her on LinkedIn. And I want to pull out some of the things that I think we can all learn from Lule's career journey. You know, she clearly says that having too many choices can be a trap. Lule was very constrained in what she could pursue because she needed to create an avenue to a green card. That will really resonate for some of you, I know. But she believes this worked in her favor, leaving her focused and motivated. And I really appreciated the point she made about focusing on the job you have rather than planning too much for the one ahead of you. I found myself using the phrase she introduced here, eat the dish right in front of you. In other words, find the joy in the thing that you need to do. Lule also really recommends an MBA. I thought that was interesting. And she pushes us to take more risks. It's where the learning happens. Last, Lule has often been the only Black person in the room in her career. I learned a lot from hearing her talk about holding two perspectives at the same time, realizing she felt isolated and needed to seek support, and rising up to become a confident warrior in the moment. That's the word she used, and it really fit. Now, I hope you'll join us for Office Hours this week, where we can discuss the wisdom each of us has gained from our own careers— So many of you listeners are somewhere in the middle of yours right now, figuring things out. Come share your experience with us this Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll go live from the LinkedIn news page. If you have trouble finding us, email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you a link. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show with help from Lolia Briggs. It's engineered and mixed by Asaf Gadron. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Michaela Greer is always around to help us work through the unpredictable. Enrique Montavo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks, as always, for listening. So after Zay was born, still coming by and having dinner, and you guys would, you yeah. guys always would cook. And then probably somebody moved, or probably a I few moved. people moved, and yeah. then you moved as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then our normal changed, right? Yeah, and that's always change. a danger when normal changes is like something Community drops. Shift.